All right, First Timothy chapter 3, and we'll be in verses 2 through 3. We're continuing through studying the book of First Timothy. It's a book written by Paul to Timothy to instruct him on how to shepherd the church and how to lead the church. And we've been looking a lot the past several weeks at the structure of the church, specifically what roles comprise the leadership of the church and how ought those things to function. And we came to this office of overseer. We spent some time looking at, well, what is an overseer? An overseer is the same thing as a pastor, same thing as an elder in Scripture. It is a spiritual leader in the local church. And there's a list of qualifications here in 1 Timothy. And I made the point that all of these are expected of all of us as Christians except for two of them. But they should especially be true of overseers. So we've been going through and just looking at them individually. We looked at being above reproach. Uh, being faithful in our marital relationship, the husband of one wife for an overseer. So this week, um, we are going to actually tackle three different qualifications here that are all very related. Sober-minded, self-controlled, and not a drunkard. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, I'm going to um, read verses uh, 2, and then I'm going to stop about halfway through verse 3. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard. Okay, let's pray. Father, would you please open up your word to us. Holy Spirit, illuminate our eyes and our hearts that we might be able to see your word, that it might be pleasing to us to have it change us and to pierce our hearts in order to bear fruit for you, forming us into the image of your Son. We thank you for Jesus and that you have sent him to make this possible for us. Now would you continue to bear fruit in our lives through your word. It's in Christ I pray. Amen. So the three phrases here we're going to look at real quick. Sober-minded, self-controlled, and not a drunkard. Um, For self-control, I really want to go through these uh, a little bit at a time. We're going to start with sober-minded. So... In looking at what does it mean to be sober-minded, we're going to do kind of the same thing we did with overseer a little bit. We're going to go back and look at the Greek word for this because as I got to looking in some different translations, something interesting popped up. The word here in the ESV that's translated is sober-minded in another translation was translated self-controlled. And the word that's translated self-controlled here was translated something else. And I got to thinking, okay, well, well, why Maybe they just mixed up the word order. And I went and looked, and no, they they are translating the Greek word differently. So I think it would be helpful for us to get a broader definition of these words. So sober-minded. Here are some other ways that sober-minded is translated. It is translated temperate, sober, vigilant, self-controlled, level-headed. But it can also be used to describe a drink. Interestingly enough, and when it's used to describe a drink, it literally means to not be mixed with wine. So this is the word that they would use to describe a drink that is non-alcoholic, basically, is what that boils down to. Okay. So some other forms of this word pop up in Scripture. Not the exact, but it's like a slight variation. So instead of run, it's the word ran. It's the same word, but just slightly different. So some other forms of this pop up. And it means this, to sober up or to come to one's senses. So this word, 
pops up in the book of First Peter three times. And I'm going to read each of these past, each of these verses in First Peter. Okay, And I want you to pay really careful attention to the context of these, and we'll notice something really interesting. So 1 Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the face that will be brought, on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 4.7, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. 1 Peter 5.8 Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So if you were writing those references down, 1 Peter 1.13, Each of these verses speak about being prepared for action because of your circumstances. It is a mental preparation, being alert. Prepare your mind for action, that you can focus on your prayers, that you can be watchful for the enemy's schemes. Being sober-minded plays into all of those. So putting all of this together, the idea behind sober-minded is thinking in a pure undiluted way. It is thinking that is not influenced by something else that's been put in to change how you think. We're going to talk about how that might happen here in just a minute after we go through these other ones. It's thinking in a pure, undiluted way. It's a mind that is in control of itself and not under the control or influence of something else. So this next phrase or word, self-controlled. So here's some other translations for this word. It's been translated prudent, thoughtful, and sensible. Some other uses of the same word, kind of a more of a definition is having a sound mind or being moderate as to opinion or passion or being disciplined. So it's the idea that it's you're not all over the place. You are very Focused and disciplined and able to control the way that you think, as opposed to someone that's just kind of driven and tossed any which way. It's a very controlled use of your mind. And this word is actually a compound word of two words. One means safe or protected or sound, and the other one is mind. So it's a mind that is protected and that is safe and secure. Putting all of this together, here's the idea behind self-controlled. To be self-controlled means one is producing thoughts that are sound and safe due to disciplined thinking. This isn't a thinking off the cuff. This is a planned, intentional way of using your mind to make decisions. This is something that is vital for this office. So this third phrase, not a drunkard. The first two are very similar. They are both translated kind of self-controlled. It's the idea of mind, slightly different. This last one here, not a drunkard. It seems pretty self-explanatory. So you would get to this and be like, okay, we get that. <laughs> so you don't need to explain not a drunkard. It's, it's pretty cut and dry. However, there's something interesting here. The word, the Greek word that's translated drunk is not in this verse. 
It's not in this verse. And I went and looked at other translations. And they translate it as not given to much wine or not partaking in excessive wine. And I kept seeing that. And then I look at the ESV and I said, not a drunkard. Why don't we have the word for drunkard there? I think it's still an accurate translation. But it's interesting to me. Instead of the word that you would normally see for drunk, it's actually a form of the word wine. It's another compound word. And the first word is in or near. And the second word is wine. So it says this overseer ought not to be a person that is in or near wine is what that word literally translated means. Okay, not in or near wine. So when we take this at face value, it would seem to say something more than just don't get drunk. It would seem to say something more like get away from the alcohol. Is kind of the idea. Okay. We actually get a really rare glimpse of the personal life of a New Testament church pastor later in this letter. So flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Trying to unpack this idea more. I want you to look down to verse 22. 1 Timothy 5. Look down to verse 22. I'm going to give you some context here. It's really important. Right here, the conversation has drifted away to other instructions for the church. And then it's come back to the office of overseer. But this time he's using the term elder. So he's talking about elders here. Talking about pastors. And this time Paul is talking directly to Timothy. He's giving Timothy specific instructions for something he needs to do. He's talking about not taking part in the sins of others. In fact, I want to back up and just read that for you. It's talking about in verse 19, do not admit a charge against an elder or pastor overseer, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. We'll get to unpack that as we come there later. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. So now here's where our verse comes in. Do not be hasty, continuing these instructions, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. So that's the instruction. Do not take part in the sins of others, but keep yourself pure. Then you'll notice there's a parenthesis there. Paul gives some extra instruction. He tells Timothy in verse 23... Keep yourself pure, but I need to tell you this, Timothy. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. So Paul, in talking to Timothy about pursuing holiness and not joining in the sin of others, that's the context. Paul has to tell Timothy, because he knows Timothy, he is his father in the faith, Timothy is his son in the faith, And in his telling Timothy, avoid sin, avoid the sin of others, he pauses and says, but I need to tell you this. You really do need to take a little bit of wine for the sake of your stomach. You need to take a little bit of wine for your stomach and your frequent ailments is what he says. Timothy, in his pursuit of holiness was refraining from wine and only drinking water. 
They don't have a water purifier like we do in the hallways. They didn't have that. Wine was their water purifier. Timothy, in his pursuit of holiness, was not drinking it. And Paul, in telling him, don't give in to the sin of others, has to stop and say, okay, Timothy, look, I know that in pursuing this, you've decided to not drink wine. But I'm telling you that you need to drink a little bit of it for your health. You've got some health issues and you need to partake a little bit. Here's what all this means. In Timothy's mind, in his personal discipline, we don't get a glimpse of this a lot in Scripture. In Timothy's mind, pursuing holiness meant avoiding wine altogether. Now this would kind of line up with this compound word that we looked at. Not in or near wine. Stay away from it. However, despite what it seems like Timothy's practice was... What did Paul tell Timothy to do? Use a little wine. Like, Brother Garrett, this is supposed to get clearer. (laughs) This is not getting clearer. What are you doing? Paul instructed Timothy, a pastor, an elder, to regularly drink a small amount of wine for a specific medical purpose. If we tie all of this back to our original phrase, not a drunkard, Now we can understand this idea. The best way to understand this is avoid this overseer needs to avoid alcohol unless required. Avoid alcohol unless required. Why is that? It's not that alcohol in itself is a sin Or else Paul wouldn't have told Timothy to use it for medical purposes. Think about this. Obviously, it's not the wine itself that is a sin. Or Paul wouldn't have said, you're dying. You need to take some wine so that you can keep doing ministry. He would have said, brother, refrain. The Lord will protect you. It's not that alcohol in itself is a sin. Rather... It's the effect that alcohol has when it is consumed too much. You become drunk. That is the sin. Your normal mental faculties don't function properly. Your control over yourself and your mind starts to weaken. You lose this self-control that we've been talking about. But we have to remember also that though drunkenness is the sin... That's not technically what the qualification says. The qualification doesn't say don't get drunk. It may look like that in the ESV, but most other translations interpret differently. They use the word wine there. The instruction isn't to not get drunk. The instruction is to not be in or near wine. A pastor shouldn't be in or near wine. This does not mean that the pastor can't go into Walmart. You will see me in Walmart. Okay? This does not mean the pastor cannot go into a restaurant that serves alcohol. I'm amazed how many places are doing that now. You can't avoid it. This means that the pastor needs to be above reproach when it comes to alcohol as well, removing himself from its potential influence. So that's why I think not a drunkard is still a great interpretation of that Greek word. 
still a great interpretation of it. But I think that we have taken a license to that and said, well, it's technically getting drunk is the sin. So drinking is okay. So we're going to enjoy it. And we're not careful enough with this. And we think I have control. I'll tell you right now, I'm weak. I don't have control. In student ministry, I don't have this conversation with wine as much because they're not allowed to drink it. Okay, I tell them, hey, you shouldn't. Avoid it. Be on the safe side. It's great. But I'll tell you what does come up. is with young men growing up, their bodies changing. They start having all these temptations, these sexual temptations. And then they start getting in relationships with these girls. So me, student pastor brain kicks in and I'm like, hey, I want to protect my girls. I want to protect my guys. So we need to talk about this. And in pursuing purity, a piece of advice I've always given, and here's the analogy, is, you know when you were together with a girl, and you're sitting down, and you're snuggling on the couch, you're watching TV, you know, your arms are touching, and all these things, the more of those things that are stimulated, the more your body is going to wire and say, hey, something needs to happen. So knowing that, preemptively, you decide, I am not going to have physical contact. That needs to happen before the moment. You don't have the strength in the moment to deny those things. If you wait till that exact moment and say, okay, okay, I get to be a Christian and not do these things. They're great. You failed. If that's where your line of defense is, you failed. You think you're strong enough until you get in that moment and then you realize I ain't strong enough. The time to decide when you're going to draw your line is before you were caught in that. So before you're in a relationship, we're going to sit down right now and say, what are those boundaries you're going to put into place to protect yourself? And the analogy I give is, let's say that someone says, hey, there's a ticking time bomb over there. It's set to go off in three minutes. You can go look at it as much as you want and figure out and, and just observe it. You got three minutes. Just be sure you're away in three minutes. Who... Which of us, and I told the students, which of us is going to go over and be like, yeah, I want to get real close and just look at it. I don't care how much time is on that thing. It's a bomb. What am I going to do? I'm going to run the other way because I realize how dangerous it is. Well, but you could be near it for two minutes and 50 seconds and then run and be okay. I don't care. I don't care. It's a bomb. When it goes off, someone's going to get hurt. What if it goes off early? What if it's supposed to go off in three minutes, but, oh, went off 30 seconds early, malfunction. With that scenario, we would all say, get away. But then when it comes with, for young men, sexual purity, for some of us, alcohol, we say, ah, well, as long as this, it's okay. I would say, let's just run. Unless you need it medically, like Timothy did, why? And I think that that is the idea behind this word. So you look at this and you think, oh, it's simple. I get it. Not a drunkard. But when you unpack what Scripture says about that and the examples that we give, we see it's actually a lot more than just not a drunkard. It is a pastor that is not in near wine. 
So the pastor needs to be above reproach. The common theme in all three of these words and phrases is that of controlling your mind. We as Christians need to protect our minds from the control of outside worldly influences or substances. And this goes beyond alcohol. Yes, I think it includes that. But it includes drugs. Not just the illegal ones. Prescription drugs sometimes. It includes our emotions and our passions. Controlling the way that we think. It includes public perception. Controlling the way that we think. I want to be perceived a certain way. So I will act a certain way. It includes anything that would keep us from being fully controlled by the Lord. In our country right now, we're kind of in the grips of something called cancel culture. You don't see it as much around here because it's Gene, Louisiana. We're kind of in a bubble. It'll get here eventually. Saw a news article today said American Airlines is under fire for giving in to cancel culture by some. By others, they're applauded. And the idea is that because large groups of people disapprove of some social etiquette or behavior, I will kind of virtue signal and say, oh, well, we're against this and we're not going to give any business to this because this is how we are. So that everyone will flock to us and give us their business. It's the idea. And it turns out what's really popular is not what Christians want or like or value. In fact, that's unpopular. And if you were seen associating with that, you might lose business from all of us people that are anti that. That's the idea behind cancel culture. Businesses are being controlled by their desire to be viewed positively, and it's causing them to do things that they wouldn't otherwise do. We are controlled by a lot more than we realize. I would wager most of us in here are probably not controlled by alcohol. I would also argue most of us in here are probably controlled by things other than the Lord to some degree. The key is recognizing that that happens. What are those things that are keeping me from functioning the way that God wants me to function? It doesn't have to be something physical. It can be an idea. It can be an attitude. Ephesians 5, 17 through 21 gives us kind of an example of this. Ephesians 5, 17 through 21 says this. It says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's two types of filling here. The first is the filling with wine, and the second is the filling of the Spirit. When we're filled with wine, it controls us. And when we are filled with the Spirit, the Spirit controls us. Paul is trying to say, be filled with the Spirit to the degree that He's controlling you. And out of that control will come songs and hymns and spiritual songs. That's what comes out of the Spirit-controlled person. 
We protect ourselves from the control of other substance or emotions so that the spirit will have more control over us. That's the end goal. That's the end goal. I want to be controlled by God's spirit. How do I do that? I fight to make sure I'm not controlled by anything else. Don't be filled with, I think you can fill in the blank there. Don't be controlled by, but be filled with the Spirit. And this is the gospel. Before we came to Christ, our life was characterized by sin's control. We still feel it. We still feel the effects of that. Before Christ, we were near it, we are in it, but in coming to Christ, he calls us with two words. He says, repent and believe, have faith. The one who will not give up the control of sin will not receive the control of Christ. It requires giving up that control. And it's the same thing for us as Christians now. We're on this side of the cross, but there are still some things that are controlling us in the way that we think that we need to give up control over in order to have more control from God. The one who will not give up control of sin will not be as controlled by the Spirit. You cannot grab hold of God when your hands are already grasping onto something else. you got to let go of it. Jesus gives us a good example of this. John 5.30 says this, I can do nothing on my own. This is Jesus talking. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus judges only as he hears from the Father. Jesus' will is to do the will of his Father. Jesus does nothing on his own. His words, not mine. In the same way, let us imitate Christ and do nothing on our own or due to the influence of Or our passions of something else. Let us discipline ourselves and control ourselves so that we might be filled with God's spirit and controlled by the spirit. Let us take control of our minds by protecting our minds and by removing ourselves from the presence of anything that might threaten that control. And finally, let us put ourselves in the presence of God and submit our minds to him fully that that we might be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can approve God's good, pleasing and perfect will. Remove yourself from the presence of whatever is controlling you or whatever threatens to control you and put yourself in the presence of God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that no matter how many times we come to your word, Father, and we open it, there are always treasures and joys and delights to be found in your word. Unexpected surprises just around the corner. I thank you for being faithful 
Father, when you tell us that your word will not return void, I thank you for demonstrating your faithfulness as we study your word and are changed by it and we see fruits that come from it. Father, I praise you for your faithfulness. I praise you for the example of Christ that you've given us. That he would not just die for our sin, but that he would show us how to live out from underneath its control. Would you submit us to your every will, Father? Would you make us into a church that is not controlled by public opinion, that's not controlled by different substances, that's not controlled by our own inner desires and passions, but that's controlled simply by your spirit? Would you transform our minds according to your word that we might have better control over our minds and not be tossed to and fro based on whatever convincing wind philosophical idea kind of sweeps the nation? We don't want to be subject to those things, Father. We want to be subject to your word. We need your word to transform our minds for that to happen. So, Father, give us self-control. Give us a sober mind. Take us away from the presence of anything that threatens that and place us within your presence that we might be transformed by you for your glory. We thank you that you have died in our place for our sin, that you've given us new life. We love it and we love you. It's in the name of Christ Jesus we pray. Amen.